Okay, let me ask this. Oh, maybe, it's fine, you're recording, right? Because you're gonna like edit. Um, should I say my full name or just my first name? And do you say the name of your school or just like, I teach in New England? We just say we teach in Colorado Springs. We haven't uh, okay, great. named our, our school, but by no means we expect you to either. Right. Okay, good. I, zone it in. I just, okay, I thought so. And you can say, if you don't feel comfortable saying like your full name, that's acceptable too. You can just say my name is Emily. <laughs> I sound like really important in this scenario, which I am not. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can start by introducing myself. Hi, my name's Emily and I teach science at a high school, an independent high school, about 30 minutes outside Boston. What is independent? I mean, does that just mean like a, like a public or a private school or like students pay to go there? Yes, I think independent is sort of an umbrella term that encapsulates all schools outside of public school. So you could put um, like yeah. Catholic school within that category as well, different religious institutions, but you can pretty much use it interchangeably with private, although independent schools like to use that phrase. <laughs> no, that's fair. There's tons of terms like that in education. I mean, growing up in Jersey, it was either you went to public school or you went to parochial, right? So, and then yeah. was Friends of parochial? Yeah, so no, it's an independent school. So I went to a Quaker independent school growing up. So it, it fits within that category as well, which was one of the few independent schools in South Jersey. I get it. Okay. I like that term. It's fancy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how long have you been teaching, Emily? Oh, I've been teaching, um, let me think, this will be my ninth year teaching, 10th if I count my student teaching as well. Oh, that's awesome. And you've taught in a lot of different states. How many states have you taught in? Yes, I've taught in three different states, um, Florida, New York City, and Massachusetts. I spent most of my teaching career in middle school. So I taught at a co-ed religious institution, an all boys school where I taught fifth and sixth grade boys. And now I teach in a co-ed high school. Uh, it must feel good to be back to co-ed again, not surrounded by a bunch of teenage boys. <laughs> um, I do enjoy teaching co-ed and I do enjoy high school. I have to say, I know both of you teach in middle school. I loved middle school, but it's tough. It's really tough. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's the only thing I know, but uh, I want to coach in high school. So I'm interested to possibly do that one day. Why do you like yep. high school, teaching high school better? Um, that's a good question. I like teaching, so the things about middle school that I miss sometimes are just like the enthusiasm when you have a new topic and discovering something for the first time. As a science teacher, there are concepts, like I could see the light bulb go off, which was really fun. And there was just like a willingness to engage with the material. Um, but I felt like I spent a lot of time on classroom management. And that was never a strength of mine. I built that skill up a lot, teaching at an all boys school. Um, but I feel like in high school, it takes up a much smaller amount of my brain. 
And I get to use a lot of that energy around planning or just digging deeper into the material. I feel like I can have different types of conversations with high school students. Um, I teach environmental science, which is a real passion of mine. And I feel like the way high school students can think about their own impact on the world, it's really exciting to be part of those conversations with them. That's really neat. So do you think it's easier or you, you said I get to spend less energy on classroom management? Is that because the students are a little more mature and focused or? Yes, I think okay. middle school students have so much enthusiasm and energy. They sometimes struggle and how to channel it. Um, and by high school, like kids who don't want to engage, do it in less disruptive ways to the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that a couple of times. People say like there's those hormonal hormonal changes that start happening around like seventh or eighth grade. Like the kids are just like being able to focus and like academics is not the priority for a lot of students in middle school. So like not only is classroom management, but then like planning those entertaining and engaging in lessons is the hard part. Yeah, this yeah. is a topic, but I was listening to a or I had a PD yesterday night about trauma in the brain and just talking about how like students become dysregulated and how it makes it really hard for them to learn when they're dysregulated. Um, and I like noticed that a lot in middle school uh, where the behavior like when a student is dysregulated is acting out um, and instead of, and then I feel like in high school, it's more like zoning out like it's more like, okay, I'm not engaged. So I'm just gonna like stare into space or not pay attention. So I think that I found that interesting. So I wonder if just over time, that's kind of what happens, but. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Well, let me ask you this. Why did you choose the teaching paths? Like when did you know, did you want to be a teacher early on or to come in college? Um. Well, we knew each other back in the day, and you know I do love school, so I felt like I was always someone um, who loved school, who enjoyed the process of learning something new, so teaching was always on my mind. Um, I also love science, so I for a long time thought I'd be a doctor or I'd work in research, and I worked in demographic research after college for a few years, and it just... I just didn't feel passionate about it. I missed interacting with people and went back to school. I went to grad school and got my master's for teaching and just immediately felt like this was the right fit. Like it was something I knew all along that I felt like I was running away from. And then as soon as I was doing it, I knew it was the right thing to do um, because I love it. I love science. I love like the process of inquiry and discovering something new and seeing your own place within like the trajectory of human knowledge <laughs> sounds like really lofty um and I love like being in the classroom it's so fun there's so few jobs where every day there's something new you get to like bring so many sides of yourself to the classroom you get to build a relationship with people each year um and it just like it keeps you on your toes it's fun yeah, uh, I like to think that I, I was your first student because we did know each other all the way back in middle school. And 
I think it was starting in sixth or seventh grade, we get those math packets. And unlike most students who, well, I probably was like most students actually, at least all my friends would wait till the last week of summer. And then I would frantically call Emily and be like, Emily, you got to help me with my math packet. And then even when Emily went to a different math or high school, I continued to call her and say, Emily, you got to help me with my math packet two days before I started. <laughs> I'm, I'm always willing to help out. There you go. I knew yeah. it was a calling then and there. <laughs> yeah, you're a great teacher back then. Very, very patient and understanding. <laughs> Thank you. I like to think I maintain that. Um, I think of myself as like my students' cheerleaders. That's kind of like my go-to. I feel like students need support and often need to be built up and Whenever I can do that, I really see that as my role. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, so what changes have been made at your schools now? Like we, we figured out your background. Now that you're, you said this is your second year here, you know, so you, you saw the school you're currently teaching at before COVID hit, correct? Yes. Yeah, so what changes have you guys made for COVID or remote learning? What's your school year looking like? Ooh, good question. I, I want to say everything, but <laughs> um, so we're doing a hybrid similar to a lot of other schools. Um, what we did that works really well um, is that we have the student body in two groups. So there's one group that comes Monday, Thursday. There's one group that comes Tuesday, Friday. So all students are on campus two days a week, and then everyone's home on Wednesday and does virtual learning. And what I like about what we did is the days that students are home, they have async, asynchronous assignments. They're not Zooming into class. So they're working independently on those days. And as a teacher, I have office hours on those days. And it means in the classroom, I have really small classes. So the, 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 most, the most amount of students, okay, I make that sound right. Um, the <laughs> largest, oh, this is the word. The largest class I have in the room with me is nine students. Hmm. Let me ask you this, um, a few seconds ago, you said, Students come in on Tuesday, Thursday, and then the other group comes Wednesday, Friday. Is that correct? I may have said, no, I meant Monday, Thursday, and then Tuesday, Friday. So they don't come on back-to-back -back days. They come on different, like there's a day in between when they come to school? Correct. Huh, and so we're doing back-to-back so -back days. Was there a reason why you guys had days in between? Wait, I think yeah. I'm like, go ahead, though, oh. explain. No, go ahead. Oh. Because like you could have, one group one day on Monday, the other group on Tuesday, and then that gives you time to offer instruction so that way they can work on Wednesday on the asynchronous stuff. So you know how we're running into the problem right now where if you have asynchronous assignments, it's inequitable because you have kids who are in person and then you have kids who are on just online. And so they don't get time to get the instruction from the teacher first before they work on their own. So that with this way, like you have two groups doing um, the same work probably, and then on Wednesday they go and do it themselves. See, I like that. Now I want to wish our school would change. Yes, that's exactly it. It's I teach the exact same lesson 
on Tuesday that I taught on Monday. And then the students are always doing the asynchronous work after the lesson. So everyone's had the instruction, or if I want them to like preview read, everyone's preview reading, like for my ninth grade biology class, I might have them preview read a few pages in the textbook, and then we do the content together, but they've been introduced to the vocabulary first. Um, So it's nice. I actually, I think in, in light of the situation, I think it's the, one of the best solutions because the two sections are like working at the same pace. Hmm. What is like the completion rate look like for the work that you get? Uh, I mean, almost a hundred (laughs) percent. So jealous. Ah. Yeah. It's just, it's, I mean, the life at an independent school, I, I'm I'm trying to think of my words very carefully because I'm mindful. I don't think that the students are different. I think it's the, and I would never say they're different. I think it's the expectations and culture of being at an independent school that, or at least at my independent school, I can't speak to all schools, obviously, um, that students will do all of the work. And when they don't, there'll be, an intervention. So at my school, um, because it's a high school, we work with their advisors. Every every teacher has between five and eight students that they advise. So it's a pretty small group. So for instance, like I have a ninth grader who didn't submit two async assignments in a row. So I would email his advisor. And then by like the end of the week, he will submit the work. That's wow. a nice little uh, support group there. So it's more like accountability. It sounds like you have like a system in place. Yes. Was that yes. in place before COVID? The accountability like advisor piece? Yes, that was in place. Like that's something the school's always had. And I've always had like an a hundred percent completion rate for all of my work. Um, for all the work that that students submit. So it's sort of building on the relationships that students already had with faculty. Um, And I think it's leveraging it this year when it's even more important to feel a close connection where you can be honest and open with an adult in the building because they're not interacting with as many adults or having as much time with their teachers. And so would you say then, I guess, that the transition was pretty smooth, like from like going from being 100% in person to doing this like hybrid model? Um, It's a good question. It was as smooth as it could be, (laughs) if that's an okay answer. I mean, it's still really difficult. You know, I've been listening to the two of you share your experiences. And I feel like what I've realized teaching at an independent school that has put a significant has has more resources right there's more money we have smaller classes um not your individual classes but just hearing about some of the online classes like there are some challenges that are universal being online like there's zoom fatigue there's um not feeling as connected to your teachers I think that that's universal but I think there's been some some benefits that that schools like certain independent schools have been able to do, you know, certain things they've been able to put into place. Mm -hmm. It feels like a lot of work. 
Um, it's a lot of prep work. It's a lot of changing lessons from what I've taught before to work in this new format to thinking about like what content's really important. Um, we use the outdoor space a lot. I'm really fortunate. It's a huge, beautiful campus. And so whenever possible, we take kids outside because they put Wi-Fi throughout the campus. Wow. So like so whenever possible, we go outside. Oh my gosh. So, and are the, the, the kids still have to wear their masks or are they allowed to like sit far apart and take them off? They still have to wear their masks when they're in class. And the expectations is, is that they're always wearing their mask, but it feels a little safer to, um, to, to be like, if you're sort of like facing someone to do group work, we still are supposed to sit six feet apart, but it feels like a little safer and a little easier to have conversations because we can't move any of the furniture in our classroom. Mm, okay. Amazing. And to be able to hold class outside. So that is a huge bonus. I'm not, you know, I don't like, I don't want to make light of the situation, but I would say like going back to what you said, like when you have a school with more resources, it makes it a little bit easier to transition, not necessarily easy, but just easier than like, I don't know, our, our school. We struggled with the accountability piece, I think. And um, like kids even just having access to internet. So I feel like we're still working on that piece and we're, we're entering the second quarter, you know. So. Yeah, we had a, yeah. um, I mean, two parts on that. A, I thought I was really good because I was one of the few teachers with a window in my classroom. So I was excited to be able to see the outdoors. Um, and then, you know, we just did this problem solving piece. Um, I like to do it with my students every once in a while. Like, I'll just put a question on the board and then have them turn and talk to a neighbor and then share their answers. And we said, if you don't have Wi-Fi or power at your house, what can you do to get your work done? And, uh, you know, they'd come up with some answers like go to a friend's house, um, go to the library. One kid said go to Starbucks. And then, man, like if somebody put a dagger in my heart. One kid was like, I sit on the back or I come to school and um, I sit against the door because it's close enough I can get Wi-Fi and I do my work until I go home. I was like, what? I was like, here's all the extra credit. <laughs> My gosh, so, it's so hard. I mean, I, I think this year it's a real lens into the lives of our students and our students a lens into our lives in a way that people are not used to sharing with each other. Yeah. Um, like when we had back to school night, the thing I said is we all have to lead with our humanity this year because we're bringing piece of ourselves to school that we never did before because there were all these these like walls up or boundaries. And just because of the situation, we have to bring all these different pieces of ourselves to school. And sometimes it's really uncomfortable, but sometimes it'll allow us to build stronger relationships and connections. Yeah, for sure. I like that. A piece of humanity. Yeah. I think it, especially now, like we tend to start not thinking, I guess, using all rationale. <laughs> so sometimes we're like so stressed out that we forget that this is 
more than just about the learning gap. Like it is about like making sure students feel safe and that they have access to what they need, that they have food, um, that they're not like so stressed out that they can't even learn. Um, I have to keep that in mind too. Like when I get really frustrated, like how do I continue? And I still struggle with this. Like how do I continue to hold my students to really high expectations, but then at the same time acknowledge that they have a lot of difficulties and like they're sitting up against the back of the school trying to find Wi-Fi. Like, like that to me, like that's not fair. And like, why am I giving them grades for every single assignment when I know that realistically they might not be able to complete all of them? So I just struggle with that still every day. I wrestle with that thought, so yeah. So you're not only a teacher, but you're a mother, All right? So I hope you don't mind talking about this. And if you don't want to, just let me know. But um, no, go ahead. I'm, I'm go ahead. I mean, you're teaching from home with a kid. I mean, how has that affected it? And I mean, did your does your son go to preschool? What, what's that experience like? Oh, great questions. Um, so I'll start out if I can tell an anecdote. Um, I have a two and a half year old and when he was just under two, I was trying to meet with a student during like the beginning of the lockdown. And I thought I could meet with a student with him sitting here cause he loves screens. So we're sitting and I'm, and my student is talking to me and he just turns to me and says, mom, stop talking to her. I want to talk to you. <laughs> They're like, okay, this isn't going to work. We'll talk later. Um, so, you know, my, my students know my son. He's definitely like made a few appearances. I just start by saying I'm super fortunate. Um, my son's daycare is connected to my husband's work. And so they started daycare when they expected my husband to be back at work. So he's back at daycare for this academic year. Um, my husband also works in an academic setting. So both of our jobs are super flexible and we pretty much split the day during the beginning of quarantine. So like one of us would be on each morning, one of us would be on in the afternoon and both of our jobs were super understanding and sort of knew our limitations along with a lot of other teachers. And right now it's working pretty well. Um, it's, exhausting if that's a fair answer I'm tired and uh I'm you know I'm I'm thankful he's back at daycare interacting with his peers and I'm thankful I have a kid who's pretty young that he thinks like masks are really cool and this is all like the world he's living in so it's normal to him um you talked a lot about like you're a science teacher so you have to do all of these experiments. Like what resources have you like taken advantage of? And especially because you can't do a lot of hands-on learning. Yes. So the best resource is for me, our Facebook groups. Um, I feel like I think back to Facebook when it was like this cool thing where we saw it was happening in people's lives. And now it's almost 100% professional development for me. Um, there's an incredible national AP environmental science teachers Facebook group, group where people are super generous with the work they do and 
it's sort of make something, take something. And so people have shared a ton of resources. Same for biology groups. I, I teach environmental science and biology and chemistry. Um, there's been a lot of new work that I've used from other teachers about incorporating an anti-racist curriculum within the biology classroom, which is something I'm trying to focus on more this year. And I think a lot of teachers are. And so that's been super helpful to me to um, hear what other teachers are doing and bring in other voices as well. That's awesome. So what have you found on these Facebook groups? Everything. I mean, everything. People are so generous. I feel like teachers are so generous. They they make stuff. They share everything. All sorts of like online labs or there's all the biggest thing I've gotten is there's all sorts of physical activities you do in the science classroom, like card sorts or simulations or growing plants or something that some teacher this summer adapted to be online. And so now you can do it totally safely, the exact same activity, because some teacher like meticulously typed up every card onto a Google drawing. And now you can do a card sort in your classroom without touching any physical objects. Is there a favorite it's amazing. if you like? Um, yes. Well, the Environmental Science Facebook group is exceptionally great. Um, it's National apes teachers ap environmental science it's moderated it only is for teachers i highly recommend it um the other ones i like are the national chemistry teacher association uh, national chemistry teacher facebook group i'm newer to chemistry so people have been incredibly generous in that group as well um there's a new one that started this summer coalition of anti-racist biology teachers hmm. and that i'm looking at the names of that one's been really awesome Again, thinking about how to be really intentional about bringing an anti-racism conversation to the sciences, which traditionally have not been as you know involved in those conversations within the science classroom. So I've gotten some amazing resources from that group. Um, trying to think, those are sort of the big ones. And then I collaborate with other teachers at my school um, I, I teach with some really fantastic people and we work together on a variety of projects as well. That's pretty neat. Okay. Great. But, you know, we're talking about how to be anti-racist, even in science, like that's not something I typically would think to do. Um, it's not something that I got when I was in school. So it's like good that we are moving in that direction. So yeah, I think lots, uh, my hope is, is more and more science teachers are seeing that they're, they need to be part of that conversation. And sort of one of the big things we talked about it as a science department this summer, thinking about what's happening in our country, thinking about COVID, is the idea that science isn't neutral. Like, I think we sometimes think of a science, like we're away from society. We sort of exist on this other plane, but of course that's not the case. Nothing exists out of society. And so bringing that into the conversation for our students. So you talked a little bit about like bringing, you know, 
that we can't expect the same things uh, from each other now. Uh, what else have you learned about like what it takes to teach during this time? Just like lessons. So. Yeah. So I guess the two like concrete things I started doing in my classroom from that were different from when I was planning. Um, we, I, and the people I teach with, we shifted a lot to partner work whenever we could because students were just craving social interaction, especially ninth graders. My school starts in ninth grade, so they don't know their classmates. They have very minimal time to interact with them because the day is very structured to minimize exposure. And so all sorts of lessons that were more individual, we scrapped everything. So like everything's done with a partner, everything's done in conversation so that you're talking to someone, you're learning through conversation, but you're also having, you know, like the small everyday conversations, getting to know people so that they're building relationships and feeling connected to school. So we incorporate that a lot. And then the other technique that might sound silly, but has been like the number one successful safe partner sharing, that's not a word. The number one way for two people to work together on their own screens is making every worksheet Google Slides. So every worksheet I like turn in, anything that could have been a worksheet, I turn into a Google Slides and then they work together in the Google Slides and they share it with me and I can give them real-time feedback while they're working. Mm. And they can work in different parts of the sheet while still talking at the same time. So you can like more easily work on one part of a Google Slides question deck and another part, and then I can look at it and I can sort of give them feedback on it. I've been using that a lot. I, it sounds like I, I think we might already know the answer to this, but are you likely to go back to teaching next year despite everything? Oh, yes, I'll be back. <laughs> yes, I, I, I um, you know, I still really like it. It's hard. It's difficult. I think the pressure I feel is the pressure I put on myself to be ready for my students each day and to make the lesson enjoyable and worthwhile. So on a bad day, I just have to remind myself, like, if I let up, I wouldn't feel so much pressure most days. Um, but I love teaching. I still think it's so much fun. I can't imagine doing anything else. And I'm definitely looking forward to thinking of like, what ways I can grow in my career now that I'm at 10 years teaching and different you know, like, I think teaching gives you a lot of different ways to pull in other passions um, and continue to grow, which I really appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I got a fun little side game if you're ready to play. It's like a lightning round question game. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. This may or may not make the final cut of the podcast. We'll see who we'll see how you, you like it. All right. Pressure's uh, on. So think like try to answer questions in 15 seconds or less. Number one, what's your favorite thing to do outside the classroom? Cook food. Mm, well, drink beer, but I don't know if I should say that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're 21. It's legal. <laughs> 
I guess that also answers number two. How do you handle stress? <laughs> oh, running or have a drink. Ooh, nice. <laughs> what book uh, would you recommend for teachers or students? Oh, that's a good book. Okay, well, the book I'm I'm really into right now is Braiding Sweet Grass, which brings indigenous wisdom to the environmental science conversation. And it's just a beautiful read right now when we think about spending more time outside about our relationship with the natural world. So everyone read it. It's beautiful. Who says braiding sweet grass? Yes. Oh, cool. I found what is your favorite memory from being an educator? My sixth grade advisory throwing a wedding for our classroom stuffed animals. <laughs> I hope there are pictures to that. At an all boys school. Oh man, look at that. Guys can be sentimental. I like it. <laughs> it was a beautiful wedding. <laughs> What is one thing you did your first year of teaching that you'll never do again? Oh, have students take notes in the book, notes from the book during class. Like read the book and take notes during class. Mm, okay. And what does a quality education mean to you? E equality or quality? What's your what is a quality education? Oh, well, what's a quality education to me? Ah, feeling like it's worthwhile to show up every day and feeling like your voice is honored and heard in the process. Okay. What's your favorite game to play in the class? Well, I used to love Kahoot, but right now I'm all about categories. It's like, is there a digital version of categories or are you playing like the old board game? Um, I just make up categories and then I go to a website called like random letter generator. And then we pick a letter and we place categories that way. So sometimes it's like things we learned in science this year, people at our school, or sometimes it's like food you can buy at CVS. Oh, that's awesome. It's fun. <laughs> it's really fun. That's awesome. That's all I got. I like it. Great. Do you have anything else? Um, no, I mean, I think, no, I think I hit, on, I feel like we hit on all the key points. I'm happy to like not go into coaching because I think there's a lot for the classroom and I don't have a lot of like genius in that regard. Um, no, I think it's good. I mean, I feel like we talked about it's, it's like, oh, uh, I don't know if you feel this way. The biggest thing I'm realizing is it's a super hard time. It's a super, it's a super scary time. But when you're in the classroom with students, it like oddly feels normal. Awesome. Well, be safe and tell Jeff I said hi. I will. This was really nice to catch up. It's really yeah. good to chat. Um, this was really fun. And it's so nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. This is really fun. I'm glad to hear things are going well in Colorado. I mean, except for the fact that you're quarantined. But besides that, things sound really good. <laughs> so it's the act of quarantine. Your things sound great. Yes. Yeah, the sun is shining. The mountains are still there. Hey, thanks for listening today. 
If you like the podcast, please consider giving us a review wherever you listen to this, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Teaching Unmasked. Yeah, we would love to hear your thoughts on this podcast. And also, if you have any ideas for future episodes or you know a teacher who would love to be interviewed, please let us know on our Instagram. Good luck, stay safe, and be creative.